So we continue our study in the book of Luke, Luke's gospel, uh, asking this question again and again. Luke keeps asking the most important question of all time. The most important question of all time is, who is Jesus? Luke keeps asking that question because he wants us to answer it. It's a personal question. Uh, in chapter 9, we, last week, we looked at Herod. Herod had an opinion about who Jesus was. The crowds had opinions about who Jesus was. But what about you? Who do you say? What do you say about Jesus? You have to give your own answer. It's not mom's answer, dad's answer. It's not Pastor Matt's answer. It's not Grace Chapel's doctrinal statement answer. It's what do you say about who Jesus is? And be careful who you let influence your response. Make sure your source is good. So, have, a, have an assignment for you. In your seats, where you are, if you're comfortable, talk to someone near you, okay? Tell me again, why did Luke so carefully investigate the eyewitness accounts of Jesus' life? Do you know the answer? Why did Luke write his gospel? If you need a hint... You can look at Luke 1, verses 3 through 4. So I'm going to give you two minutes to, to answer that question. Why did Luke write his gospel the way he did? And here's, a, here's an aside. If you have time, what's something you've learned from Luke, maybe in our studies together, that have impacted you? A story, a teaching, a miracle that you remember that, like, impacted you? If you can remember that. But you have two minutes, go ahead and talk to someone near you. Why did Luke write his gospel? What was his intent? And something that's impacted you. Go. All right. So we know that Jesus knew who, who believed that he was God and who didn't believe. Jesus knew people's hearts. So why did he turn to his disciples? and ask his closest friends of all people, he turned to them and said, who do the crowds say that I am? And they gave a report. It was all over Facebook. Everyone was saying the same thing. Herod was saying the same thing as the crowds were saying. It was everywhere. But then he turned to them and said, but who do you say that I am? So Jesus knows what you believe this morning. Who do you say that I am. And if your answer is the same as Peter's, you are the, the Christ of God. That, that's wonderful. Praise God. But don't think that the rest of this message today isn't for you if you, you know that answer and you believe it. Because Jesus goes on to challenge not just skeptics about who he is, but his disciples. He's asking his disciples that question because he wants them to count the cost of following him. Belief in Jesus is connected to a very dreadful reality. It's symbolized by a cross. Let that sink in. Believing in Jesus is connected to a dreaded reality. It's symbolized by a cross. Have we considered what Jesus experienced so we could have freedom, the freedom of eternal life? Is following Jesus and carrying your own cross really worth it? What do you say? What do you really believe? 
So it's after the miracle of feeding the 5,000, and Luke skips over a lot of other details that some of the other Gospels uh, uh, record for us. He wants to quickly jump to this important event because Peter's confession of who Jesus is is really significant. It's significant for Jesus because if Jesus is really the Messiah, it had a great, great implications for Jesus. But also, if Jesus is really the Messiah, then it has great implications for any of us who would dare to say, I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm a Christian. So let's, let's take a look today and just answer the question, what about you? What do you say? Who do you say Jesus is? So I've already said it, but in, in verses 18 through 20, now it happened that we read that as he was praying alone, the disciples were with him and asked him, who do the crowds say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist, but others say Elijah and others that one of the prophets of old has arisen. Then he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, the Christ of God. So we know that Herod, King Herod and the crowds and, and popular opinion was that, that Jesus was a special person. The masses were, the, the crowds were very much impressed with Jesus, but they were not totally convinced that he was God. They were missing the full truth about who Jesus is. Why does that happen? Well, John, the Apostle John kind of clues us in, and in his first letter, 1 John chapter 2, we read this. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. So there's confusion in our thinking about life's essentials. It, it kind of infiltrates our living when we turn away from our creator, when we forget about God and go our own way. So lies become truth. Ideas, if they're not from heaven, let me ask you this, where do they come from? Righteousness is now declared to be foolishness. People ignore God, and we make ourselves God, and we're experiencing that. And there's confusion about who we are because we've forgotten our creator and what he's made us to be. And the crowd's response, the majority of the people, when they saw Jesus make five loaves and two fish, two fishes, into enough to feed 5,000 men plus women and children. So it was a huge crowd. That's an amazing miracle. They're living descriptions of what happens when we forget our creator. Jesus confronted them, and I, I, I was talking in 1 John. Well, turn, turn to John chapter 6, John's gospel chapter 6. And we looked at it last week, but I repeat. And Jesus turned to the, that crowd that was following him, and he said this in chapter 6 of John, verse 26. Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. 
Do not work for food that perishes, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you, for on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to do the works of God? And Jesus answered, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom God has sent. And then Jesus said, you, you, You're following me for the wrong reasons, just because you got your fill. You, you got to eat. And then he talks a little bit later. Look at verse 54 of that chapter. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true, true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. Now that sounds a little weird, but Jesus is just saying, you've got to believe in me and partake of me fully. You've got to believe that I'm the Christ, and, and as it were, eat and drink me, because I am life. That's full commitment to Jesus. And what was their response? Verse 60. And notice who it is, but many of his disciples, those who declared that they were followers, heard it, they said, this is a hard saying, who can listen to it? And after this, verse 66, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. And then Jesus again turns to the 12 disciples and said, what, do you know? Do you want to leave too? Because this is a hard saying. Who do you say that I am? Jesus is asking me. In Matthew, Mark, and Luke's Gospels, the you, who do you say that I am? That's in the emphatic position. So in the Greek, that's at like the first word in the sentence. So that's emphasis. Who do you? Like I said, not mom, not dad, not the pastor, not the elders, not your tradition. Your, your belief, but who do you say that I am? Not what Herod thinks. It's a personal discovery. It's a decision you have to make. Peter, the spokesman, shouted it out, the Christ of God, the Christos, the anointed, the adjective, the, the anointed one, excuse me, <coughs> became a proper noun, Jesus Christ. Jesus anointed, the one God has chosen. The other Gospels tell us, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for what, what this was revealed to you not by man, but by my Father in heaven. God must help us believe that Jesus is the Christ, and if we ask him, he will. So if Jesus is the Messiah then all that's foretold about what would happen to the Messiah is going to happen to Jesus. And Jesus is well aware of what lies ahead of him as he's heading toward Jerusalem. This is his last journey toward Jerusalem. There's been hints, but now Jesus lays it out clearly. I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to suffer. I, I'm going to experience death, and I will be raised again to life. So they answer, Jesus, you are the Christ. You are the anointed one. You are the appointed one has big implications for Jesus. 
And we want to look at those just real briefly. In verses 21 and 22 of Luke chapter 9, Jesus explains, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. What must Jesus do as Messiah? Well, number one, he must suffer. It was predicted by Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 53. He was a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. He carries our infirmities, Isaiah says, and our sorrows. He's pierced and crushed for our transgressions and for our iniquities. His punishment brings us peace with God. His wounds bring us healing. He must suffer. Secondly, he must be rejected. Psalm, Psalm, the second Psalm says, the kings of the earth, they gather together against the Lord, and it goes on to describe their rebellion. In John chapter 1, John, the apostle John says, he came to his own, speaking of Jesus, and his own people did not receive him. He must be rejected. So he's going to suffer, he's going to be rejected, and then Isaiah again tells us he's going to be killed. In Isaiah 53, 7 through 10, it says he was oppressed. He was afflicted like a lamb led to the slaughter. He was cut off from the land of the living. They made his grave with the wicked. It was the will of the Lord to crush him. He must suffer. He must be rejected. He must be killed. And he alone must die so we can receive forgiveness that leads to life. Isaiah again writes, by his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. The amazing thing of the gospel, the truth of the gospel, the amazing word of the gospel is that the innocent lamb of God, God himself became sin, became a transgressor, so that our forgiveness could be purchased. He must suffer. He must be rejected. He must be killed. He must alone die for our forgiveness, and he must be raised to life. 1 Corinthians 15, for if the dead are not raised, then not even Christ has been raised, and if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, as in Adam all die, so also all who live in Christ will be made alive in Christ. Is Jesus the Messiah? The answer is yes. So he walks toward Jerusalem, and what's ahead? Well, Jesus tells what is, what is ahead. He knows what is ahead. Jesus is going to face the cross. And what is Jesus' cross? It's a literal cross, but it's also doing his Father's will. That's his cross, obeying his Father, suffering, dying, being raised to life. I want, want you to know that Matthew and Mark report Peter's opposition to this. Do you remember that? When Jesus said, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, I'm going to die. And Peter said, Lord, this is never going to happen to you. Lord, this shall never happen to you. Why doesn't Luke tell us that part of the story? Because his emphasis is the Messiah is going to suffer. 
This is God's plan before the world was made that he would pay for our sins so that we could, our forgiveness could be purchased. So if Jesus the Messiah is going to suffer, what are the direct implications for you and me if we are followers of Christ, if we're disciples? Because if Jesus is the Messiah, it has big implications for him. All these things are going to happen to him that were described by the prophets and then Jesus himself. And the answers, yes, Jesus is the Messiah, has big implications for us. If I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, it means that if Jesus has a cross, then I have a cross. Peter's confession, you are the Christ. If you have said that, have you said that? Then <laughs> it opens the door for a discussion about true discipleship, what it means to follow Jesus. Right away, there was misunderstanding. Peter said, Lord, you're not going to suffer these things. You're the Messiah. There was a misunderstanding. They thought the kingdom of God was right around the corner. They thought it was going to happen like really soon. When Jesus went into Jerusalem on that Palm Sunday, they were so excited because I believe they thought the kingdom of God was on the verge of coming, that Jesus was going to bring it. But Jesus immediately corrects their thinking. As Messiah, Jesus had a must-do list. Do you have a must-do list before your uh, barbecue tomorrow? I don't know. Are you having a barbecue we just took a brief look at Jesus' must-do list as Messiah. And as a follower of Jesus, you and I have a must-do list too. Must-do. Jesus lays it out here. Do you desire to have your heart cleansed? your sins forgiven, to be made holy, to be transformed by the new life that Christ alone gives to those who turn to him in belief, then you must, one, confess that Jesus is Christ. You must make the radical decision to come after Jesus. If anyone would come after me, what must he do? He must deny, he or she must deny themselves. And do Jesus' will the way that Jesus did his Father's will. Take up your cross daily and follow me. True belief is saying what you believe and then doing what you say you believe. Doesn't mean you're sinless. It doesn't mean you're never a hypocrite. Take a deep breath on that one. Thank you. It means pursuing the things of Christ. A maturing process of faith in the faith. It means pursuing um, Jesus in a way that admits our failures and return to Christ in humble obedience. It means depending on God's word. It means depending on the spirit of God and asking for his help. It's depending on God's grace. It's depending on the community of God's people, believing disciples. The scholar Liefeld, W, I don't even know his first name, I just have the initial. W. Liefeld says this. It means that as a Christian, I will not set my desires against the right Christ has for my life, on my life. 
Daily carrying my cross explains and intensifies this discipleship must. It's daily living for Jesus and not ourselves. Carrying a cross was a one-way journey for a criminal. Death row. One-way journey. It was a one-way journey for Jesus, carrying his cross, doing his Father's will. It's a one-way journey for us, too, if we are truly followers of Jesus. Some of us older people know the course. You probably know the course. I have decided to follow Jesus. Do you know how it ends? No turning back. No turning back. Have you decided to follow Jesus? Yes or no? And if it's a yes, then you and I are in a daily wrestling match. Well, I trust God's plans for me today. It happened this morning, didn't it? Will I obey his voice or listen to my own voice or the voices of others who maybe are not really good friends of God? Whose voice am I listening to? What if God's path for me this week is difficult? What if it's frightening? What if he's asking me to do something I really don't want to do? Do I really believe his love for me is unfailing? Will he carry me through? Now, we've been asking the question, trying to do it once a month, this time tomorrow. Well, I don't know about this time tomorrow. It might be this time on Tuesday for a lot of us this week. But, you know, some of Jesus' will for us is all the same, no matter who we are this week. This time tomorrow, this time in 15 minutes when I'm done, or maybe a little bit before that. God's will for us is all the same. To love God and to love our neighbors, we love ourselves. To, to obey Jesus. But it's also going to be very different because you're going to be walking with different people, different places, facing different situations. And are you going to be carrying your cross, doing your Father's will above your own? One thing we can't do, we can't do this alone, and we don't have to. Are you carrying your cross? Are you a disciple of Christ? And you, you're carrying a cross whether you know it or not. Then you have the Spirit of God living in you, follower of Christ, and he's there to help you carry and obey the cross, the will of God that you have to do. God's word's there to guide us. We don't have to do it alone. There's others in past history who have walked a similar trail, and you can be encouraged by their lives. God never stops and fail or stops keeping his sheep. He never fails. He won't let us go. Don't neglect meeting together and helping one another walk in the Lord's will. If anyone, Jesus said in verse 23, if anyone would come after me, so it's open to anyone. If anyone would come after me, let him or her deny himself and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Are we gaining or losing? For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself or forfeits his soul? 
For whoever is ashamed of me and my words of, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed of when he comes in his glory. So what's your assessment today? What's your thoughts this morning? I know you're thinking of a hundred different things, but Jesus is confronting us with this truth about the cross, about carrying your cross. Is it worth it to follow Jesus? What's your mind telling you this morning? What's your heart telling you this morning? Is it worth it? Who Jesus is really matters. If he's the risen Savior, then what he says is true. And surrendering his will to his cause is gaining and not losing. But I don't always believe that every moment of every day. How about you? So Jesus is the risen Savior. There's no other one, so take his word seriously. If Jesus says gaining the whole world is a losing proposition, then be careful what you're investing in. It's a, not a win, but it's short-sighted. It's losing. It's foolish. You lose your soul. You lose life everlasting. The wise hear Jesus. The foolish ignore it. And their misery is nothing but doom. Last week, I asked the question that Isaac Watts asked in his hymn. Am I a soldier of the cross, a follower of the Lamb, and shall I fear to own his cause or blush to speak his name? Jesus says, don't be ashamed of me. How many times have I blushed? <laughs> How many times have I not spoken had been prepared well to speak well of the Lord. Too many to count. I take great comfort that Peter, after his great confession, blushed three times, not too many, too many weeks down the road. He denied Christ. He was afraid. The disciples were scattered. But Jesus reinstated the 11 disciples. He emboldened them and can read about their boldness in the book of Acts. Think about all the Bible heroes. Man, there's so many of them, right? We call them heroes. But they were just ordinary sinners, people who needed saved by grace, needed God's strong hands to help them. I think of Esther. She was blushing because she was a Jew, and here she was, safe and sound in, in, the, in the king's court. And her cousin Mordecai had to convince her, you know, that community of believers convinced her that she had the wherewithal to be courageous, to do God's work, to not be ashamed that she was part of God's chosen people. So read the biographies of the saints as you read through the Bible and learn from them. Be encouraged by them. Let it build up your faith. Read biographies. Hey, Go to the church library. There's this huge section. <laughs> or use your Kindle or whatever else. <laughs> and read some of the great saints of old. Let me name four. Hudson Taylor. Learn about his faith. Amy Carmichael. Learn about her vision. Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Jim Elliott. The list just goes on and on of people that could encourage you. Read about their life story. And, and be built up by it. So don't be ashamed of Jesus, 
in this world because if you are ashamed of Jesus, then you, he will be ashamed of you when he returns in glory. That's quite a statement. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, Paul wrote, for it's the power of God. for the salvation of everyone who believes. So don't be ashamed of that wonderful name. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name, the name of Jesus. Wow, we just sang about it. We're committed to it. Have you ever thought about this? How many people in the world are willing to die for their religious beliefs or cause? So what makes following and suffering for Jesus better than any other religion or cause? Do you know what it is? It's the resurrection. He's alive. So he is the Messiah. It's the life changer, the, the deal, the life changing thing that, that can't be compared to anything else. I'm getting all twisted up in my thoughts because it's so spectacular. He's the only one who was worth listening to and following and dying for. There's no other name given among men by, by we can be saved. Boy. If you haven't figured that out by now, that it's not this political party or that political party or a job or a person that's going to save you, it's Jesus Christ. And Luke wrote his gospel so that we would know for sure that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ of God, the anointed one, the chosen one, the only one. He was sent into the world by his Father to save us from our sins. Jesus spoke the truth. He healed the sick. He calmed the storms. He cast out demons. He was died for sin, was raised to life. He returned to heaven, and he sent the Holy Spirit to empower his church, his bride, his people, to bring his glory to the world. Oh, by the way, this is Pentecost Sunday. It's when we celebrate 50 days after Easter that the Holy Spirit came and, and, and empowered the church. We can do this. We can carry our cross because Jesus is trustworthy. It's worth, is it worth becoming a follower of Jesus? What do the crowds say? What did Jesus say? And what about you? What do you say? The implications are big. Let's pray. Father and God, forgive us for doubting that you are the Lord, Jesus Christ. Lord God, we thank you for sending your Son and the Spirit of God to open up our minds so we could believe the truth about Jesus. He's our creator, our Lord. Oh, Lord, give us hope today. Give us the grace we need to confess your name without blushing in the before the world so that they can see and know who you are. Lord, I ask you today to stir up belief in our hearts, in a skeptic's heart, in a doubter's heart, 
even in your own disciples' hearts. Reveal your glory so that we follow you without fear, follow you happily. We pray this all in the name of Christ. Amen.